Hi. Uh, I've, I've, as I've been going along, you know, I'm, I have been around a long time. I'm not very old, but I have been around a long time. And, uh, and I'm kind of like a relic in the vineyard. Uh, you know how in the, in the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, they, they will have relics on display in various locations. And you can go and see these relics. And, and, but I'm more like a, a roadshow relic, you know, uh, like the antique roadshow. You know, that, that's the name of my tour. Uh, so it's really fun to be here. I need to greet you uh, from the church in Costa Mesa, California. Uh, they send their greetings. Uh, they sent me with their blessing. And they actually did so in a very, very difficult time in our church, one in which uh, they didn't really emotionally want me to go because we've been through so much difficulty as a church over the last few weeks and months. Uh, but we felt like, you know, when the Lord is doing something, you know, you just keep your attention on what He's doing and you ignore the pleas of the enemy. Uh, we were happened to be going through Nehemiah in one of the chapters is chapter 6 where Sambal and Tobiah are trying to seduce uh, Nehemiah from coming down from the work, uh, diverting his attention from the work and engaging with them so they could ultimately destroy him and kill him. And, um, and so we felt like, you know, there's no coming down from the wall. You know, we press in, we move forward, we do what God's called us to do, and we let him sort all the rest of the stuff out. Um, so I'm very, very glad to be here. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you a question to begin with, and, and that, that's this. How many of you have experienced the full-on miracle? You've, you know, you've experienced you know, the resurrection of the dead, um, something of that magnitude. How many of you have experienced that sort of a thing? Yep. Yeah? Well, actually, all of you have that know Jesus because you were dead in your trespasses and sin and he raised you to life in Jesus and it's a really important and remarkable thing to remember because it is the greatest experience you will ever have you you'll heal the sick you'll see blind people you'll see lame people you'll see all kinds of different things but nothing you will see will be greater than the forgiveness of your sins and, and, the, you know, and the grace that brings you into the presence of God. And, and uh, a few weeks ago, again in Nehemiah, we were in chapter 8, where they, in the end they do the Feast of the Shelters, the Tabernacles. And it's a time when, when they were called to, you know, they had rebuilt the wall, they had their homes there in Jerusalem, but they, they went out and they got palm branches and stuff and they made these lean-to shacks kind of deal, and they lived in those for a week. And it was, it was a call to remembrance. And if you've read the Bible at all, uh, you will see that, that throughout the Old Testament, they were always called to remember. To remember where they were and where they are now. And it's really, uh, there's, a, re there's a, a, a morbid way of doing that, uh, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way that, that just makes you just so grateful for where you are today. Uh, that, that your sins have been forgiven. Remember the paralytic uh, the, that was raised... Uh, that was um, uh, put down through the roof, you know. And Jesus said to him, uh, you know, they wanted healing for him. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And, and they're all like, whoa, you know, you can't do that. And he goes, well, so that you'll know that I have the authority to say your sins are forgiven, rise up and walk. And so 
uh, obviously the priority of the kingdom there really was first and foremost that your sins are forgiven. You know, because when Jesus does that for us, obviously we're, uh, we're made clean before Him. Everything that we've done, past, present, and future, has been removed from our, our lives. In, in Christ looks at us as holy. The Father looks at us as holy. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says uh, that we're able to enter into the throne room of God with boldness through the blood of Jesus because of what Jesus did for us. So it's always essential and important for us to remember that, that no matter what's going on in your life, man, you've already experienced the greatest miracle. You know, you've, you've been brought from death into eternal life in which you will stand before the Lord guiltless, spotless, uh, un, unashamed, you know, entering into that place without any, without, with your head held high. Have you ever felt like not held, holding your head high? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you a story about that in a little while. Um, so, before we get into the text, I, I want to stay on this topic for a second. Um, one of the things that I've been observing about the miracles of God, and it goes all the way back to creation. Because creation is like, what, the greatest miracle that you could ever imagine, right? I mean, when God creates, He doesn't like adjust the chairs. You know, He says, there be light and there's light. He separates the water from the land. You know, He, he calls things to life and, and life comes. So even in creation miracle, we see this, the God acting in this remarkable way. And then what does He do? He places Adam and Eve in the garden and for what purpose? To work the land. And I've been noticing this thing about miracles, where God acts and does something, and yet we still have a role to play. So, so uh, Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus had been pushed out in the boat to, to, to speak to the people. And then he says to the disciples who were fishermen, he says, push, push the boat out a little bit further and cast your nets. And, and they're like, serious? You know, we, we know what we're doing. You may know the Bible, but we know fishing. And so, but they do it because he said to. And they throw their nets in. Of course, they get this great catch of fish. They have to call others in on it. And, and to, to haul the fish in, the nets are breaking, and, uh, and, and they all have to pull those fish in. So the great miracle happens of this great ingathering of fish. But then what happens? Somebody's got to clean those fish. Right? Somebody's got to sort those fish and clean those fish. You know, and then people get to mend the nets that were broken. So there seems to me always this, this miracle, which is the beginning of a process versus the miracle which is the end of the process. Think about the man that the uh, the men that, that were uh, had leprosy. Okay? They had been condemned to a life as outcasts. They had been condemned to be people that had to, you know, from a great distance be yelling to people, "Unclean! Unclean! Keep your distance! Unclean!" You know what? You talk about shame. You talk about just feeling like an outcast. I mean, these people lived like that for years as they died this horrific death of just you know, decay. Jesus heals them and they're made clean. But I'm wondering how soon it was after that that they started getting dinner invitations. Think about it. Think people automatically just said, Oh, come on over now. Because, I mean, they, they would have been, people would have been made unclean. They were conditioned. So there was a process that they had to go to. Uh, the woman caught in adultery. You know, Jesus, you know, speaks to her and, and, and you know, we're your accusers. There are none. Well, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. There's always something more. 
And I feel like charismatics make a big mistake when they, when they, when they have this experience and then they think it's done. Now, uh, evangelicals have, uh, make a mistake where they think they know it, they know about it, therefore they think they know it. You know, that's what evangelicals do. They, they read about it, they study about it, they know, how to, you know what it says in the Greek and the Aramaic and Hebrew, and therefore they, they know it. But they can know that and not know God at all. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second here. But So I, I've, my case, and I'll make a greater case for it later, is that we're in a process. My process began in 1965. The Lord, the Lord came in and apprehended this little kid's life. I was 11 years old. You know, you can't really think of an 11-year-old being in that big of trouble, but, but I was. I was out on the streets until midnight. My mom didn't know where I was. I saw things that an 11-year-old shouldn't see. I experienced things an 11-year-old shouldn't experience. I was an angry, you know, undisciplined, you know, wild little kid. And uh, before I could end my life or have somebody else's end my life, um, Jesus steps in and apprehended me got my life, took my life, and he changed the trajectory of my life. I can guarantee you, I have zero doubt about it, that if Jesus didn't intervene at that moment in my life, I would not be standing here. And I have serious, serious, serious doubts whether I'd be standing anywhere on the face of this earth. I have lots of friends who are dead and who died at young ages because of the paths that they were on and the paths that they were taking. But Jesus does what God does. He, and and we, it's, the Bible is full of this. God intervenes on the behalf of man. We're not looking for him. We're, in fact, rebelling against him. And God intervenes and he changes the trajectory of lives. And so from that point in 1965 to now, I mean, for, to now, literally to now, God is working and continuing to change, continuing to reveal. It's interesting that, uh, that Kirk... Uh, mentioned the the verses in uh, Ephesians where Paul prays. Paul prays for Christians. Okay, Paul prays for Christians, men and women who knew Jesus, and from the stories we know in Acts, they knew the Holy Spirit, and he prays that God would grant them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they might know Him better. That was close. <laughs> um, that would have been bad. I would have had to pretend like it was a spirit. Um, uh, <laughs> he prays that they would know him better. Well, how can you know him better if you fully know him? There's sometimes these concepts that get a little bit mixed when, because we know that in Christ the work in us is complete. And yet we know from the scriptures and the admonitions of the scripture and the instruction of the scripture and the teachings of the scripture that it's not complete. So it's complete and it's not complete. It's done and it's not done. The, all the money in the world has been transferred into our account, but we've not pulled all the money in the world out of that account. We're continually drawing on it. So if we can know him better, it means that we must not know him enough. Right? And so Paul prays for him for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. So I believe that we're involved in a process that's ongoing and continual, and I think I can very well prove that from the Scripture. Um, but today we're going to look at uh, part of this. In Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 19, which really, oh my gosh, it's just, it's just I could just stay on this forever. 
I, I was teaching through Ephesians months ago, maybe a year ago, and I caught this, we team teach, and so I caught this particular portion of the scripture, and there were some things that really caught my attention in it, and, and, and I started pressing into it, I started delving into it, I started kind of asking the Lord to show me more, and He has, and He continues to, and it continues to just frankly blow my mind. Even the other day I saw something I hadn't seen before. But let's look at this. Paul's talking again to the, the church, Ephesus. Uh, they've been growing. They, you know, he's prayed this prayer about you know, wisdom and revelation. He's talked to them about the fact that they're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He's talked to them about the fact that they're saved by grace and not of themselves. So he's, he's laid a lot of groundwork for them. And then he says, then he goes ahead and prays for him. He says, this, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its names. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. Now again, how can you be strengthened if you're fully, if you're, if you're fully strong? You know, um, there's, there's place for growth. There's place for strengthening. That he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. You see, that's a key phrase here, a key understanding, is that we can't know, we can't have enough knowledge. We can't have enough emotional experiences, you know, to, to change who we are and to change our understanding. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that knowledge partnering with the power of the Holy Spirit that ignites things and begins to change things. So he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. And he says a very important thing. In your inner being in your inner being now it's going to go ahead and, and give us the answer to that in a second but I'll, I'll tell you this when the scripture talks about our inner being he's talking about our heart he's talking about grand central and he's talking about the nerve center of our lives and so when he's talking about our heart he's talking about lots of stuff and this is what he wants to do he wants to strengthen us in our inner being where what is our inner being made up of our emotions, our thoughts, our attitudes, our appetites, you know, within that, you know, our feelings, it's all within our heart. And, and, there, and there's a lot of it in there. And God wants access to our whole heart. So sometimes what happens is, is, is let's say you have an experience with God, an emotional experience with God, where you get touched and you weep before the Lord and you, and you, know, you feel His presence and, and you, you, know, you, you, you know Him in a way that you haven't known Him before. And, but, but eventually what happens is you have to get up off the floor and you have to live it out. You know, you may be in here, you may, you may get convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings revelation to you about something in terms of the way that you treat your wife or the way that you treat your husband or the way you treat your children, or the way that you act at work. And you, you truly are remorseful over your behavior. And so you weep before the Lord and you call out to God and you, 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 know, you just feel just overwhelmed with the sense of conviction. It's not condemnation, just an awareness of what a rat you've been and, um, and, and, and all of a sudden so you, you, you cry and you weep well guess what happens you got to go home you got to go to work you know you got to go back to church with those people you don't like you know and that's where we find out what's happened and so it's not just our emotions being touched it's our attitude then being touched 
And, and what's the attitude? And I know you guys have been talking about this and teaching about this. What's the attitude that we're supposed to have? We're supposed to have, have the attitude, the same attitude that Jesus had, that, we, was had in, that Jesus had himself, who, who didn't think of himself so highly he was not willing to humble himself and become a man. And so in our relationship, he's our example, so we, we're willing to humble ourselves before each other. And we're able to, to prefer one another and honor one another and serve one another and love one another and, 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 and just be a, a supporter of the other person, looking out for what's best in somebody else's interest rather than our own interests. Okay? That's when you find out if God has penetrated your heart at every level. Now, going further, um, Paul says that uh, you'd be uh, blah, 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 blah. I pray that, being, that you would be rooted and established in love. And so the foundation for everything that we operate out of is our love for God. We're responding in love to God. And in that love, we, we trust His love. We yield to that love. We, 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 um, we, just, we rest in that love. Therefore, again, dealing with our hearts. When we... Again, thinking of your heart as having many, many aspects to it. And I don't know whether chambers, you know, illustrate it well enough or not. But, but you just know that you have... You know what else you have in your heart? Hurts. Pains. You know, difficulties that you've struggled through. And we, we have those things and we take them and we tuck them away. We tuck them away somewhere in our heart. And so the Lord, we say, Lord, touch us. And the Lord touches us. But, we, but our hands are over here. Just don't touch me here. Oh, and this attitude that I have for so-and-so, I'd really like to hold on to that because they deserve it. You know, they shouldn't be liked by anybody and, uh, and certainly by me. Uh, and so, but God says, no, no, no. He says, hands off. I want everything. I want to fill you completely and totally. I want to saturate and penetrate. So if you thought of this as layers, you get your emotions, then you've got your intellect, and then you've got your appetites, and then you've got your attitudes, and, and just go on so forth. And, and you just see that thing being the Spirit of God pressing down into all of that, all of that, and all of it. And within that context, there are little closets. And in those little closets, there are locks. And, and there are places that you really haven't given Him permission to go into. There are things that you say, Oh, Lord, take all of me. But not all of me. You know, because I have this hatred and anger and unforgiveness towards this person that did this thing, and they deserve it. And, and I don't want to let go of it. I can't let go of it. Um, in fact, some of those things become, they become part of the furniture. They become part of the, the, the landscape of our hearts. And, and we don't know how we'd live without that bitterness. Uh, but it's a good idea to find out. Um, so, so the Lord, He saturates and begins to deal with all those areas in our heart. And so one of the things that we pray is we say, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Lord, I want you to touch my attitudes. I want you to touch my appetites. I want to love the things that you love. And Lord, I want to hate the things that you hate. I want to run from the stuff that you hate. And so, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I might have reverence for your name, that I might worship you in everything. I might yield to you in everything, that you might be Lord of, of my fears, 
that you might be Lord of my pains, that you may be Lord of the lies that have taken root in, in my heart and my life. And, and, and you go, well, well, wait a minute, I thought Jesus paid for it. Yes, he did. He paid for all of it. And, but we, we sometimes hang on to some of it. And we don't, he's not the Lord over our finances. He's not the Lord over our sex lives. He's not the Lord over our, our attitudes. He's not the at Lord over our thought life. You know, when I'm pressing into the Lord and I'm, and I'm trying my hardest to just, and, and, and I don't mind using that term, trying my hardest, because the Bible uses terms very similar to it. Make every effort to add to this, that, and this, that, and perseverance this, and patience that. So, so the scripture talks about, you know, pressing into these things. So when I'm doing that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, and none of you would ever need to know this, I'm telling on myself, uh, and, and, and I also know that none of you could even relate to what I'm about to say. He's even, he, you know, that's a lie. Uh, he, 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 I have to confess my attitude when I'm driving, you know, because, I mean, I, have, I, get a, I can get a bit of an attitude, and I can start saying things and acting ways and stuff like that that I know isn't pleasing the Lord. And uh, I have a, my best friend, I'll be on the phone talking to her, and I'll be driving. And she goes, who are you talking to? I'm like, well, some of these people out here. And <laughs> he goes, what, what do you mean? And I go, well, they're jerks. You know, they're idiots. You know, they're morons. They're, you know, they deserve the death sentence. Um, uh, you know, I mean, it all worked up, you know. And I'm, and I'm driving. She goes, do you think that they can hear you? No. You think the Lord does? And I go, <laughs> our connection's getting bad. I can't hear you. I think the call's about ready to drop. You know, <laughs> but the truth is, I mean, the Lord wants to want, the Lord wants to sit in my car with me. He wants to be the Lord of everything. Um, I recently, because of this verse and because of saying, Lord, I, I want create me a clean heart, Lord. Examine my heart, Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I want you to know my whole heart. I want you to show me everything, you know, because I want to yield everything I have to you. And here's a reason why. Because the ultimate result is joy. When I'm not captive by anything, when I'm not reticent at all in pressing into God and entering into all that he has, I'm filled with joy. I'm filled with peace. You know, so happy. You know, just so alive. that I'm not, I'm not spending any energy trying to hide this thing over here. You know. Oh, praise the Lord, you know. Praise the Lord, you know. I like this. Clean hands, clean heart. Open, completely open before the Lord. And so uh, I'm praying about this thing. This happened a few weeks ago, probably longer than that. And the Lord showed me a picture of myself. It was very difficult to, to, to look at. And um, it was when I was... Um, it was when I was ordained in 1977, and I was ordained along with John Wimber and Bob Fulton. So the three of us were in a, in a meeting, and they asked us all to come forward, and, and they all, you know, come sit before the people, and, and they were going to lay hands on us. And I, I'll never forget getting up from my chair, and rather than walking up joyful, proud, happy, um, I walked up feeling so unworthy and so ashamed and so uncomfortable. So I got up on my seat and I walked up there, my head down. 
And I sat down. head down and I went back to my seat and I sat down with my head down I felt so unworthy I felt like this was uh, illegitimate and a mistake um, and you know I wasn't aware that that's like affected me for 37 years now it's kind of weird because at the same time I've been fruitful in ministry I've been serving all, you know and I've been doing all this other stuff but, but I've not been doing it with joy. I've not been doing it with freedom. I've not been doing it as one who belongs. In fact, I've been doing it as one who felt like he didn't belong. And that any minute, any time, anywhere, somebody's going to pull up the curtain and they're going to see a little man standing with a little megaphone. And so, I had to be honest with the Lord that that's how I felt, okay? And you know what's weird about ruthless honesty? Is the requirement is that it, it, it requires no hiding from anybody, anything. It requires reckless and ruthless vulnerability. And so when I discovered this, I went before our staff, there were about 25 people in the room, and they're, they're used to me, I hate staff meeting, um, and so they're used to me trying to undermine it in one way or another, you know, through doodling and sending notes and laughing, whatever, I'm, I'm horrible. I'm, and I'm a hypocrite, because if I'm leading the staff meeting and you're doing that, you're in big trouble. But, but if I'm doing it, it's okay. Uh, and so, so I, I said, listen, I have to share something with you guys. And I just began to sob. I just uncontrollably, I could not stop. And, and of course, <laughs> the range of emotions in that room <laughs> were very, you know, I'm, some, I'm, I'm absolutely certain if anybody in that room is like me, they had to be exceedingly uncomfortable with what was taking place. Like, what on earth has he done? You know, what are we going to hear now? And, uh, and so I just confessed to them that that's where I've been. And, and you know what it did? It just started chipping away at it, chipping away at it. And then I, then I shared with our whole church. You know, and, and when I do that, you know, I know that I'm supposed to have it all together. I'm supposed to have, you know, I, I get all the ideas about pastors and leaders and all that. But man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person in process, and I will be until the day I die. I'll be a person learning and growing and, and maturing in Christ until the day I, I, I go before him. So I feel like as a pastor, the, one of the greater gifts I can give to the congregations to be honest. Because you know what it does? It gives them permission to be honest. It gives them to be permission to, to own feelings that they have that have crippled them, ideas that they have that have crippled them. And so I continued in that process until, until I, I, I feel like, you know, I just I took some steps and there, I got some prayer and got some ministry. But the biggest thing I did is I was just honest. Just honest before the Lord. Said, Lord, here I am 37 years into this thing and you're, you're just now getting to this. But I know this, since that's taken place and, and there was a moment when I felt like it was gone, um, I've been able to just enjoy what I'm doing. I've been able to just enjoy it and, and not feel like every, all of a sudden somebody was going to stand up and go, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on. Uh, liar, you know. Uh, I, I've just felt totally, totally comfortable in my skin. 
totally comfortable in what God's called me to do, who he's called me to be, what he's calling me, you know, how he's calling me to live. And, and it's, so, it's just an amazing thing. But it's 37 years in the game, folks. 37 years in, and God's still peeling away, still opening up. He's still going into little parts of my heart and, and, and shedding his light and bringing freedom. And so that's what Paul's talking about here, and we're going to conclude because of time. Um, he says, I pray that you may be rooted and established in love. Where that's, all, that's where this all comes from. It's because he loves me, he shows me. Because he loves me, he shows me. And he shows me in his perfect time. Uh, at our church, we've just gone through an experience. Um, I'm glad I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here after a couple of days. Because I'm like being totally honest with you and vulnerable. Um, I... Our church, we've just gone through really rough times for about two years. And in this last few months, it's been really, really rough in that it's been discovered that our founding pastor, the founding pastor of the church who I came and took his place, um, has, was really, in essence, never qualified to pastor a church because of the secret sin in his life and the, and the duplicitous you know, life that he'd been living. He never, ever belonged in the pulpit. Okay? Now, for the people that were with him for 12 to 15 years, they're pretty doggone disappointed. They're pretty doggone hurt, and, and, and some of them pretty doggone angry. And, uh, but here's the interesting thing. Not to the degree, and, and I'm not even going to try to nuance it all, but anything. I've been him. I was him. 1997, I stepped back out of ministry because I was disqualified at that time to be in ministry. And to be really honest with you, during that time, the only pain I could feel was my pain. The only, you know, the only thing I was in touch with was what I was going through and what I was experiencing, which wasn't easy and it wasn't good, but that's all I could feel. So here I am 17 years later, and the Lord is letting, letting me feel what those people in my church felt, the disappointment the discouragement that, that, that they felt at my failing. And I'm going to say that, that's a gift to me. Not only a gift to me, but it's a gift to the people I'm now pastoring. Because I know what they feel. I know what he feels. So God set me in the middle of this mess. And, and in the midst of it, he's still revealing to me things that, that he does out of love. Because he loves me, he says, can I, can I show you this now? Are you ready to see this? I think you are. And so he'll show it. And through his grace. And so in my interactions with the people, I'm able to be empathetic and understanding. And, and, and I'm able to walk through them with this because of the grace and mercy of God. And because of the love of God. So that we can be rooted and grounded in God. And I just want to read this last verse because it's just so important. Because this is, this is the bullseye. This is the promise. This is, the, this is what we're after. And he's praying for them that all this stuff. And then he says, and, and that you might know this love. This love. The love. That you might know a love that surpasses knowledge. That surpasses knowledge. That you might experience love that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Go home and read that a hundred times. I mean, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're pressing into. That's why we're making every effort. That's why I'm, I'm being as honest and vulnerable and open as I possibly can be to the Lord because I want to experience that, the fullness of the measure of God in my life. I mean, it's saying that because we can, re, we can walk in that, because we can experience that. I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond words to even describe the concept and the idea here that we might experience, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God that we might be like Jesus who was filled to the full measure of the measure of God. Nope, wrong one. Let me just finish with this quote. Because this is the this is the good stuff. This is the good stuff. This is the stuff that really will change your life. This is the stuff that will just change everything. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. To be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. When we know the fullness of Christ, the fullness of His love in our innermost being, we are unshakable. No matter what comes our way, no matter what hammers us, if this is taken care of, we can endure all of this. If you go to my website, carltuttle.com, there's an interview on there with a young lady named Caitlin who a couple years ago, through a disease, lost in, a, in the most horrific manner you could imagine, lost both her arms and both her legs. And in the midst of that, she found Jesus in a fullness. When you just watch her, she's full of life. Fear not those who can kill the body. So God, we want God to, to have our, our hearts. And when you've got our hearts, and we're talking then we're starting, to, we're starting to live life in a way that we can experience joy. Amen? Um, thanks, Carl. And, and you know what? I'm going to just invite, uh, where's Neil? I'm just going to invite him to just maybe just to worship a little. But, um, and I'm going to ask that maybe after we've taken up this offering that you might pray the prayer of Paul for us because it's obviously something that the Spirit Father, heart of God has worked into you for the well-being of the body. And I would just love it if you would pray that as, not, not as, let's read this together, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. So, wherever you're at, I know that there are some of you that are, <laughs> that are holding your hands. I saw a picture of, of like a child holding its hands over a, 
a, a, an owie, you know, a hurt, and and they don't want to let those hands off, you know, to, to get it tended to. Um, take your hands away. Take your hands away. I see some others kind of just holding on to some bitterness and some unforgiveness, and uh, and, and it's well. Des- the, what the person has done is not excusable, but but there is no there is no life. There is n- and there's nothing but death in holding on to that. And uh, and then you know another one that I that I saw like a pocket of in, in somebody, and maybe this is more than a somebody, is just a pocket of fear, just just a f- troubling of your soul because of your the uncertainty that you're facing. And you're filled with fear, and so you just want to hold on to it. But it <laughs> it doesn't do anything for you to hold on to it. You can't do anything about it. You, the only thing you can do is release it to Jesus. And so, uh, so I'm going to pray this prayer. And and just know this: that my desire when I come to a place, and I don't go a lot of places, um, but when I do, I feel like the Lord's assignment for me is to deal with the, the hearts, the interior. Not all the outside stuff, which is that's good and fine, but the interior, because that's where transformation takes place. And so I'm going to pray that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, would do that for you, okay? And I think we would have ministry team people that, that would be here, that, that would, once we've done this, you can come forward and you can receive personal prayer and just say, hey, man, I need, I need Jesus to touch me in this area. So, so let me pray. Just open your hands to the heavens. Open hands, open hands, holding nothing back. It's all His, everything, your hurt, your pain, your fear, your sense of e- e- uh, being illegal like I felt. Like, I don't deserve this. What am I doing here? Uh, just your inability to receive grace, unconditional love and forgiveness, all of it. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come in this place now. You're here. You're here. Help us to see you. Help us to hear you. Help us to know you in the very depths of our heart. We do echo the prayer prayer of Paul that, that you would grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better and knowing you better that we might know freedom and joy and peace that's beyond anything we could have ever imagined achieving on our own through following some principles or keys or ideas but Lord we want that freedom that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit Lord bring that spirit that says that says I love you without condition I love you there's nothing you can do I love you there's no no, no way you can perform for me just receive his love receive his grace receive his mercy and give up Anything and everything that undermines and stands in the way of that. Any thought, any idea that comes against the truth that God has proclaimed in His Word and by His Spirit in your heart. Just release it now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I break the power of unforgiveness in Jesus' name. You paid for it, Lord. You own it. We give it to You. Lord, the fear that... I pray, Lord... That you'd release them from fear. Lord, we want to walk in freedom. We want to walk in joy. We want to walk in the fullness, Lord, of all that you have for us. The fullness 
of the measure of God in us that we might love each other with whole hearts, that we might love each other without condition. So I bless your people, Lord, in Jesus' name. I bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessing and release.